Welcome to Women in Venture Capital. I'm Roshvina, a student at Harvard Business School with prior experience in finance and more recently venture capital in Africa. And I'm Anvita, Harvard Business School class of 22. I've actively worked in VC and tech startup space. Our mission at Women in Venture Capital is simple. Increase the representation of women in the VC industry through awareness and engagement. So join us as we engage with women establishing their presence in VC. Our guests today are Caitlin Craig and Yvonne Okafor, investment officers at Untapped Global. Caitlin is the investment officer for Southern and North Africa on Untapped Global's all-female investment team. Yvonne is also an investment officer passionate about development and community in and around Africa. Caitlin and Yvonne co-lead Untapped's CapEx investment fund. deploying smart asset financing across Africa and other emerging markets. Previously, Caitlin worked in Nigeria with She Leads Africa, launching accelerators for women-run businesses across the continent and consulted global brands on their innovation strategies in London. Prior to joining Untapped, Yvonne worked as a consultant at Open Capital in Nairobi and an operations analyst at a United Way Worldwide international network. Thank you so much for joining us ladies. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having yeah, us. Glad to be here. Awesome. So I'll I'll get started and I talked a little bit about your interesting experiences in the intro, but I want to deep dig a little bit deeper into that. So you've had experiences in consultancy, operations, investing. Can you share some more about your journeys to untapped today? Yeah, definitely. Uh I can jump in there first. Uh it was kind of for both of us it was an exciting journey to get to untapped. Uh but on my side uh and uh, it was really really interesting for me because I came from a, a background that I guess wouldn't be a traditional way into VC. Uh I'm originally from Canada and I had gone to university in Scotland at St Andrews and I ended up out of university uh with a job somehow in Nigeria working with women entrepreneurs there which was fantastic and amazing um I worked for a company called She Leads Africa and that really gave me insight into uh the venture capital space but also the startup ecosystem in Africa and what was really happening here and really lit that fire uh and ignited my passion for the continent but also my passion for startups and the ecosystem in general and I really wanted to get uh from the accelerator side over to the investment side because I could see the impact that injecting capital had with businesses that I was working with Uh so I worked with Shilly Dafka for a few years and then went up to London for a bit working in consultancy and that gave me a lot of insight into growth and innovation uh strategies to help businesses and really understand what uh what could take them to that next level before coming back down to South Africa where I am now and uh I came across Jim who is our CEO at a conference here in Cape Town and we got to speaking and he left went back to San Francisco and then came back again to Cape Town and we kept on having conversations and through uh our colleague Yvonne and my colleagues Lundy uh who I coincidentally also went to St Andrews with and how I was really initially connected to Jim uh we had some more conversations as the team was growing and uh we decided that I would come on and uh lead the deals team uh from Southern Africa Uh, the the southern african deals 
Yeah, so I think um, my path was a little, um, I guess what people will call a little more conventional um, in that way. And I think that's what balances Caitlin and myself um, out pretty well when it comes to co-leading our CapEx financing vehicle. Um, so I had, uh, my background is in accounting and finance, accounting, finance and economics, um, born and partial, partially raised in Nigeria, um, but then across Nigeria, Argentina and um, the U.S., so I kind of got into finance and my interest in finance started developing from my secondary school days in Nigeria, but then also really seeing how um, the economy in Nigeria was unfortunately um, deteriorating at like one step at a time. The OA recession had an effect in Nigeria in a different way with bank consolidations. Um, I was a curious kid, so always asking questions around that, which led me to want to study economics in undergrad and then eventually accounting of finance as well. Um, when I shifted more into finance, um, one of the things that I really wanted to focus on was development finance. So finding a way to use financing as an instrument to develop economies. And initially it was like specifically in Nigeria. So I was like, I want to go home and kind of help fix what's broken um, and help, uh, um, I think, I guess, be part of the growth and development of the country. Um, so while I was in grad school, um, focusing on finance, I discovered alternative, like alternative investments. And that was where my, finan my finance focus was throughout grad school. Uh, so from working with our innovation lab um, and I went to grad school at American University in DC. So working at, like, working at our innovation lab with our um, teacher coordinator. So working with student-led businesses, exploring the investment space in DC, I kind of got a lot of insight on how um, the venture capital space worked. And I was, very, I'm, I'm, I was and still am very convinced that um, venture capital, private equity and alternative investments as a whole would be big drivers in the development of a lot of African economies. So I kind of focused on that path initially. I mean, to think I shifted from being, wanting to be an auditor to now be like, okay, yes, <laughs> development finance is the best way, um, you know, um, that kind of aligns with my interests of wanting to move back home and eventually um, develop the, initial, I guess, country and then continent. So I worked in DC a little bit with an angel network, but then also moved to San Francisco to work with a fund called the Venture Partners. Um, while I was there, I really realized that in order to be part of kind of like that change that I really wanted to be um, a part of, I really needed to move back to the continent. So I moved back to Nigeria initially, um, joined an investment fund there, had a great experience, learned a little bit more, but um, also wanted to kind of take a, a step back and really understand the markets as a whole um, and learn more about the different sectors and different ways that financing can be used which is how I moved to Kenya to join Open Capital initially. And then um, I think about a year and a half in, um, I got connected to Jim, who was looking for an investment officer in East Africa. Um, and Untapped's model pretty much spoke to the innovative financing solution that I thought would be drivers for um, development on the continent. So once he told me about it, we had a couple conversations and um, he asked if I wanted to join the team to co-lead the asset um, financing vehicle. And here I am, a year plus later, um, still working out on tap as we keep growing and finding new innovative businesses to keep financing. Amazing. Um, thank yeah. you so much for sharing your experiences up to here. And definitely a lot happening in the continent, um, especially the last, I would say, like five years, five to ten years, I guess. Um, awesome. So 
like I said, you are currently investment officers, but um, while doing some research about you, I also found out that you have started ventures or communities before. So Caitlin with Unpitched and Yvonne with ANA Collective. Um, can you tell us more about these ventures and how they came to be? Yeah, um, so I'm happy to jump in and start with the ANA Collective. So this it's it's a very interesting story and kind of still in line with kind of my journey into the investment space on the continent. So when I initially moved back um, to Lagos, um, I think one of the things that I found valuable, especially from college to my early professional career, was networking across, finding peers that were working in the same field as you to learn from, to grow with, to learn with. Um, and when I joined Alicia at the time, I realized that um, there was a kind of like a gap. And like, I knew some of the GPs are doing the great things and we're working on funds and investing in those businesses. But I knew there were people like myself that were also kind of doing some of the um, like back end heavy lifting of finding the deals, building out the pipeline, developing the memos. Um, but I didn't really know any of them. So one of the things that I really wanted to do was find other analysts and associates like myself um, to uh, connect with and just create a space where we all kind of learn and grow as we grew in our careers. So it started by kind of like hosting a uh, happy hour. So I kind of just pulled out um, some money, hosted like a little happy hour, cold emailed a bunch of associates um, in Lagos. And it turned out to be like an initial starting of 15 people coming together to talk about their experience um, in the investment space. Um, in Lagos, which has now grown to a community of about 350 people um, of global junior to mid-level investment professionals focused on Africa, 100 plus funds um, represented within that community. Um, and I co-leaded with uh, my colleague, um, Franny Tyner, or Francis Tyner, who works at MFS Africa. So she had started something similar in Kenya. Um, and when I moved here, we kind of decided to have like a little um, M&A um, Kind of session. So now we have the ANA Collective, which is still growing. Um, and every time we kind of come across um, investment professionals within that stage, we invite them to join the community. It's almost like a safe space for um, investors within that space to connect with other people. You know, there's deal sharing, there's education, there's inspiration, but then there's also kind of a space for the next generation of investment leaders on the continent to also keep learning from each other and keep growing. Um, and who knows, you know, we'll have a couple of funds developed from there um, in the next couple of years. So yeah, it's a little bit about AMA Collective, but it is a great contributor to the ecosystem so far. And it's super fun to be a part of. The conversations are always hilarious in the sense, in the best way possible. There's always someone putting a joke in, like we see a fund is raised and we know someone who's there or whatever uh, the relationship is, but it's always an entertaining conversation to be a part of, which is good. I think that there's a lot of uh, laughter and light that needs to be brought to VC. So definitely AA Collective does that in a great way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I can jump in about uh, Unpitched, which is funny that I'm now working at Untapped. And then prior to that, I was at Unpitched. Um, but Unpitched was started when I kind of took my hiatus out, uh, out of VC and the accelerator world. I was working at an innovation consultancy in London and then came back down to South Africa because um, I really wanted to be back more in the heat of everything. And uh, I had conversations with uh, a colleague of mine who I'd worked with in London 
around uh, a model that she had in mind and that she was building about how can we connect innovation consultants that are freelancing and provide really bespoke teams for uh, for companies who are looking to bring on that kind of consultancy. So Unpitch became this network of freelance innovation consultants, and we would have businesses come to us who were looking to build a team in a specific industry or a specific expertise. And we were able to pull from our network people who specialized in that industry versus uh, going to a generalist consultancy, which would have a host of generalist consultants. We would come and pull together uh, specialist consultants for them in that area. So um, kind of similar building out an ecosystem, uh, just this one was more focused on innovation consulting versus uh, venture capital. But super interesting, even still, we ha I have uh, some great consultants in the network that actually help us at Untapped with the products that we're building out and bring in some of the insights that way on the product team. So it's interesting bringing in that, I guess, more product perspective um, when you're sitting on the investment side. For sure. Um, definitely some really interesting ventures that you guys started. And I also love the stories behind starting it. A lot of it, it, it comes out of community and interactions you have with other people. So um, that's amazing. I'm curious if you could share more about Untapped's um, smart asset financing strategy and, and data-driven approach. Definitely. Uh, Yvonne and I spoke about this before because describing smart asset financing, uh, it's kind of a long story. Uh, so we're going to split it up into two and, and uh, tag team on it. But um, smart asset financing is, uh, and as Yvonne said, it, uh, interest of hers is alternative financing model. Um, it's really focused on revenue-based financing. So what we do is we work with businesses that are very CapEx heavy on the continent. They have uh, tangible hardware at the heart of their business model. And that uh, hardware are some, is something we call productive assets. And that means that they generate revenue themselves, the assets themselves. And what we will do um, in our smart asset financing model is come in and partner with these businesses and we finance the revenue generating assets up front. And they go in and they put these assets into the field uh, into the hands of entrepreneurs who use these assets to uh, earn an income and the assets generate a revenue and we share in that revenue as our payback over a set period of time. So an example of what that could be is um, a, a fleet operator of motorbikes in East Africa. Um, in East Africa, they're called Boto Boto drivers. And what happens is these Boto Boto drivers need to rent motorbikes in order to do their job, whether that's in logistics or uh, Uber Eats driver, or gig worker. And so they'll go to a fleet operator to rent the motorbike from. And uh, what we do is we work with those fleet operators to finance the, the purchase of those motorbikes. They go and put them in the hands of the gig workers who then pay a daily or weekly lease fee for these motorbikes. And we share with our, the operating partner on that weekly lease fee as our payback. Um, and this really works well for the operating partners that we work with because we take the risk with them. So if the Uber drivers or Uber Eats drivers uh, to pay back on time, then we get to share in the like on-time payment and it works well for us. If they don't pay back on time, means we take the risk with them and we also don't get paid back because it's a revenue-based share, um, based financing agreement. But it really is beneficial for us and for uh, the driver because we get to share in the upside and the downside um, and for the operating partner as well. But the way that we kind of de-risk this is through uh, data, which Yvonne can give a bit more insight into and in how we bring data and the whole smart side of it into our financing model. 
Yeah. So um, in addition to everything that Caitlin just explained our model beautifully, is the fact that um, data plays a key part in terms of how we can finance a lot of businesses using our model. Um, so we like to say that we, in, we finance what we call smart assets. So assets that we're able to pull information from in terms of understanding their operations, but then also understanding the, the revenue that's generated from their use. Um, so with, and we use this, we do this through partners that we call operating partners, which are businesses. So if you've looked into some of the portfolio companies um, or operating partner or companies in our portfolio that we call operating partners, um, think like a, a SOC, which is like a Boda company, right? So we would work with a company like a SOC right, to finance some of the assets used in the core um, aspect of their business. And the way we're able to almost like carry out ongoing real-time DD, like due diligence, is by accessing data from data that is generated from the use of the assets that we finance and monitor this on an ongoing basis over the financing period. So things that we look into is just under as a way for us to, first of all, understand the operations of the business a little better over the period of time. Because one of the things that we, um, plan, we plan with our companies is to grow with them. So not just provide initial capital, but be able to provide ongoing capital. And the best way for us to do this is to really understand your op ongoing operations as we're financing you. And we, we're able to do that by having visibility on your, let's say the asset data, understanding asset performance, um, additional things like maintenance, um, additional things like repairs and location and stuff like that. Um, and of course, it's non-sensitive info that we make sure we access because we also need to be, um, you know, adhering to GDPR regulations as well. Um, but then we also understand things around like, let's say, operation data. So what kind of business are you using the asset to run? If you're Taboda, are you doing a, a transportation business? What kind of transportation, load value of um, whatever, let's say if it's logistics, load value of what you're transporting and everything. Um, but then that also kind of helps us feed into understanding the revenues that are generated, which ties into the revenue-based approach that we have in terms of participating in the risk with our companies to understand the upside and the downside. Um, there's also now just general understanding of um, like the entrepreneurs um, and like under, understanding their profiles, like who are the people that have access or need access to these assets? Because one of the core things that we try to measure is what additional value or what additional disposable income some of these individuals are able to gain from either eventually owning the assets if it's more of a lease to own model that our operators are running or um, what additional value is provided to them where um, the repayments that they have to make are just tied on the revenues that they generate versus them having to pay out of pocket regardless of what revenue is generated. Because our goal is to pretty much provide value not just to the operators that we partner with, but then also to the entrepreneurs who use these assets to support them in the growth of the business. Um, so think about it as a de-risky model for um, our partnership with operators um, as a real-time due diligence. But then we also kind of use this to develop what we like to call our real-time data dashboard as well, um, where which is kind of like what we use to monitor the growth and the operations of um, the companies that we work with as a way to provide additional capital for them to scale. That's really interesting. I haven't had many um, VCs on on the platform talking about CapEx financing, which actually in the continent is such a big deal as well, because a lot of infrastructure in a lot of industries is very nascent. So it makes sense to have sure. some kind of structure in place um, to kind of assess the risk and then, you know, provide the financing and also um, 
um, cover that risk. Um, so super interesting. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit here. Um, in my intro, I said that Untapped has an all-female investment team. We don't find many of those uh, in the investing world. So can you tell us about your experience with um, gender dynamics while navigating your careers and any challenges, any surprises? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Yvonne and I, like I said, we had a chat about this this morning and it's kind of interesting because it it wasn't necessarily intentional that we were an all-female investment team. It was uh, happenstance that I met Jim at these conferences and Yvonne was introduced to Jim as well. And we both just fit what he was looking for um, in that moment. So it worked out really well. And all of a sudden we we kind of realized we had an all-female investment team, which is cool. And, uh, and, and definitely, as you said, sparks interest a lot. Um, on my side, I think uh, it's interesting being on different calls and Yvonne and I've spoken about this, where it's often that we're the only woman on the calls. So anytime we uh, usually have kind of big board meeting calls or we're on other investment committees or whatever it is, usually uh, it's either just the two of us or we're the only, if it's just one of us on the call, we're the only ones. Um, I think on my side, what I've seen is uh, it's it's about being in the room. That's really important and uh, and having a voice in the room. And finding a way to have a voice, even uh, when there might not be a seat at the table for you. Uh, And that, I guess, is kind of the struggle that I've faced, or at least having the confidence to have a voice at the table and know that um, you're being heard and appreciated. Uh, I've been really lucky that I don't think I've, well, at least I've been lucky to be surrounded by people who've really supported me. And we are lucky that our company does that for us and puts us on that pedestal that we, uh, that we're on in a sense of being this all female investment team and they speak about it and they're excited about it. Um, and I generally think, uh, from my perspective, we work with really great people who, who lift us up in that way. Um, and in the community, at least in Cape Town, it's really cool to see that there are a lot more female investors that are coming out uh, of the woodwork. And uh, I'm early on in my career in investing, but there are some great women that are in the Cape Town ecosystem that you can look up to and have conversations with, and they really support each other. And I've seen some of them, which is really cool, actually move over to the startup side and become C- COOs or uh, join C-suites um, from the investment team. And I think it's because a lot of times women have that human connection and we, Yvonne and I speak about this a lot. There's always the vibe check with every team we potentially finance. And I might be biased on this, but I do think women are best at the vibe check uh, of our actually people, cool and interesting, but uh, good people. And, uh, and that's what we've really dealt with at least in uh, untapped is when we bring people on, we, we bring on um, founders at a lot faster rate than a traditional fund. So that vibe check is actually really important. And being at least a woman in investing, having that natural knack for the vibe check really gives you a little bit of an up um, and an edge in it. But at least on challenges and surprises, I would say I'm super lucky to not have faced really, really strict challenges in that I've been kind of lifted into this space. But I think my surprises are is that you kind of still have to talk the talk in a way that boys at the table want to hear uh, to a degree. And hopefully, uh, hopefully that is slowly changing. But uh, but I've been, I guess, happily surprised with 
how open the Cape Town community has been to me. Um, but that I think that's just a, a lucky happenstance of the moment. Yeah, I, th I think maybe to add a little bit to that, first of all, um, I think everything Caitlin um, has explained, I can definitely echo um, because I think that if we look at the ecosystem from what we see in terms of the percentage of funding going to the ecosystem, you can already tell the direct pipeline issue in terms of the number of female, like let's say financial decision makers um, versus male. Um, and that kind of trickles down into a lot of different aspects. But um I think I as well have ha thankfully had a fairly um, good experience um, as a woman in my career. I mean, there are the different things around where sometimes you run into situations where people are like, oh, I want to talk, like, are you, like, I want to talk to your male colleague or I want to talk to your boss because he's the one that's going to make the decision. And it's just like, actually, <laughs> you're going to have to have a conversation <laughs> It's me because at the end of the day, I'm supposed to be your advocate. But when you start being rude from the beginning of the call, like Caitlin said, that, that, that vibe check kind of steps out and we're just like, uh, maybe we need to reassess this from this stage. Um, I think that it's, it's a great blessing to have a seat at the table at this point in our career. Um, and I do think that it is getting a little better, especially on the investor front. I are seeing a lot of amazing women from the Cape Town communities to in Nairobi as well, in Nigeria. Actually, um, I'm just remembering a couple of weeks ago, I was in, an, at an event in Lagos um, and I took a picture um, and a friend sent me a picture from the event and it was like five women. Um, within the investment space, all from different funds, but also kind of as key decision makers within those funds. You can rarely find that at once. It, it, it was a beautiful picture. And I, every time I look at it, I'm like, this is very great to see because maybe like five years ago, you could barely see that. Um, so I will say it is getting better. And I think as more women also kind of get into key positions, we're able to kind of bring in a lot more women as well into the space. Um, and we do have um, the need for a lot more women. And I think people are also starting to realize that our male counterparts, um, dare I call them allies, are also starting to realize that and know that you can, no, you can no longer sit at a board table and see 10 men and think it's okay, right? There's something off. And I think we're, begin, be, um, we're becoming a lot more vocal about it. And people are starting to be a lot more understanding and checking themselves themselves as much as other people are checking others and speaking up about it. And I think we just need to continue doing that. We need to continue pushing um, and, and honestly um, combating the status quo that, oh, you know, men should be at those key positions um, and keep pushing for women to be there because I think that's the only way we can continue to see that trickle down effect. Um, and again, yes, progress has been made, but there's so much more room for more. Um, and I, I know between Caitlin and myself, we're both kind of definitely advocates for that within the space on the investment side, but then also on the founder side. And we're going to keep pushing for it um, in both sides of our careers as we always have conversations about this um, and looking forward to seeing the change um, become, you know, even more and that gender, gen that gender gap to keep closing um, over years to come. But yeah. All the more power to you <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> um, uh, that's amazing.
Um, so I think along the same line and, and just to wrap up the conversation, what are your hopes and aspirations? Then you touched on it a little bit um, with a previous question for, but I'm going to ask it for one innovation in Africa and second, the female investor community, two of the big topics we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, sorry, I made that sound mainly because um, when I think about um, my, like, I think my, my view when it comes to the ecosystem, the things that I always look at when it comes to like opportunities or the space as a whole is looking at Africa, looking at potential innovation um, and looking at the potential impact we're always making. Um, and as we're looking at, uh, I think to your question around what is um, the hopes for innovation in Africa, um, my hope is that, you know, I think we continue breaking the bounds of innovation, finding new ways to solve all the problems that we're facing um, and even finding better ways to continue um, just bettering our experiences. Because um, I know there's an example, like I think one thing that I always think about is that there's a huge uh, migration, um, dare I call it an issue in Nigeria at the moment where people are moving around to go find greener pastures. Unfortunately, that's just because it's hard to live in the country when maybe you don't see opportunities um, for you. But there is a thriving community of innovators in there that are also now solving the problems and addressing some of the different um, systemic issues around developing new technologies, developing new infrastructures, and developing new solutions across different industries. Um, and I think that's the beauty of innovation. Um, like people are going to continue seeing issues and we're going to keep, um, and the, the hope is that we're going to keep finding ways to solve those issues um, with new solutions. Um, and I'll say, I think that's the best way to describe kind of like my hopes for innovation on the continent, that we continue outperforming ourselves. Um, we continue making our countries livable um, and our countries um, as in creating the experiences that we go outside of the country to seek within our own communities to the point that um, everyone all around us and everything around us um, just keeps thriving um, and survival is no longer um, kind of like a hope, but it's actually a given. So that's my main touch on um, innovation, like my hope for innovation on the continent. Caitlin, I'm going to hand it over to you to talk about um, the second segment of the question um, around what your hope is for the female investor community. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting because people always say uh, smart people know smart people. And I think when it comes to women, women know women. And what's awesome is to know that as more women come into the investor community, they can really lift and bring more people in. And uh, even Yvonne and I were chatting the other day that someone reached out to me, uh, this woman that I know who's in law and she's interested in moving into VC. And just having that connection of someone you know who's already in VC that you can reach out and just pick someone's brain and have those conversations with, like someone from law would be fantastic in VC. It's great to have someone with a legal background and on the deals team. But just having someone you know that you can reach out to and just pick their brain and understand the market a bit more and the industry a bit more is so important. And I think what is really inspiring for us is to see that opportunity for those conversations to happen and also for those doors to open because of those conversations. So having women open to just having a kind of open book policy around conversations and willing to have that with uh, other women who are interested in the industry and interested in coming into it is super important because it'll bring more women in and open up the table for more female-led investments, 
um, female founders, everything. And so for me, it's just, I hope that, and this is probably a broken record that everyone says, but to have that inclusivity that people have that open door policy uh, to bring people in, at least for conversations and to make sure that those doors are open for those conversations, I think we'll just get the ball rolling even more. Absolutely. And I think it's a really effective way. And I've seen it in banking before. Um, mm-hmm. And I've heard about this, the power of this community in technology mm-hmm. and um, VC, of course. So definitely hope that we get a more and more inclusive community over time, globally, really. Um, Caitlin, Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us on the show. This was a really great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was our pleasure to have this conversation with you.